Hello everyone and welcome to The Regular Takeover, a Words and Nerds spin-off podcast hosted by myself, Nathan J. Phillips. I'm a speculative fiction writer, sometimes an editor, and always a fan of any book with a good story. I'm also coming to you from Nunganwal country, and I'd like to pay my respects to the original storytellers of this region, the Nunganwal people, and all their elders, past, present, and emerging. Today, I get the pleasure of talking with Helen Scheurer and Troy Metcalf about self-publishing. Now, Helen is the best-selling author of the YA series, The Oromic Chronicles, including Heart of Mist, Rain of Mist, and War of Mist, as well as the prequel collection, Dawn of Mist. Today, we talk about her latest series, The Curse of the Siren Queen. Now, there was a bit of a time gap between recording and releasing this episode, so you'll see that in, oh, you'll hear that we just talk about the release of the first book, The Lair of Bones. Now, that book's been released. I've read it. It's amazing, and look, I've, I've never tried to hide my love of dark fantasy. Uh, it's This book is right up my alley. Um, I think it's Helen's work, best work so far, and I can't wait for the release of the second one with Dagger and Song. Lair of Bones ended on the perfect note for that one, and I'm really excited to see where Ro goes in this next part of her adventure. You can find Helen at helenshoira.com. That's H-E-L-E-N. S-C-H-E-U-E-R-E-R.com. Uh, and Troy Metcalf is a teacher and debut author with his first novel, a middle grade fantasy, Writer's Revenge, coming later this year. Again, time has gotten to us a little bit uh, here, and at the time of recording, you'll hear us referring to the title as Hanging in Resolve. Uh, but one of the beauties of uh, self-publishing is that you can change things as you need to. Troy can be found at on Twitter at tmetcalf underscore, that's at t-m-e-t-c-a-l-f underscore. And on that note, welcome to the podcast, Helen and Troy. Thank you very much, Nathan. Thanks for having us. No worries. And, and look, um, we, we really are, uh, I've said before, really excited to have both of you here because Helen, we've spoken a little bit before about the process that you've been through. You've got a number of books out at the moment. Uh, a Layer of Bones is coming out July 15. Um, really excited for that one. Uh, we've been through a little bit. I'll get you to chat about that later because, you know, it's a lot of to hear about your books. And um, Troy, we were talking before as well, you're right at the start. You're coming out uh, looking for a September release, I believe it was. With the- Yeah, yeah, hopefully that's, that's the plan. Awesome. Um, and having that sort of, you're in the mix of it at the moment. You're right in the midst of getting everything done, learning about the self-publishing and uh, probably where a lot of our listeners are probably looking looking at being in the short term uh, if, if when they're looking at that self-publishing side themselves. Um, so the first question, and I'll, I'll throw this one to Troy first because I've already asked you before this one, Helen, um, but what was it that made you push towards self-publishing or decide to go down the self-publishing route? Um, yeah, so I guess... Uh, you sort of want a little bit of creative control and you also want to, well, I wanted to have time to be able to nut it out, write it, and then seeing, well, I think it was, I knew this prior, but listening to a Danny talk over the last week, uh, the amount of manuscripts that a, a unsolicited provider was upwards to like 400 at yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. The one with um, Curtis Brown, Fiona Inglis, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it just yeah. came out recently. And I suppose when you look at those figures, you're like, okay, well, I'm battling and although, yes, I'm confident in my writing, what if what they are looking for is not what I'm writing? And I want to have this sort of control around when I put it out, what I'm doing, and that's what I liked about self-publishing and having that sort of um, ability to get myself out there without having to worry about 
competing against other people. I know, I know the market. I'm competing against people like Helen, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is a brilliant writer. Uh, but, but yeah, I sort of just wanted to have that. Yeah, and uh, look, I, I just want to put out a, a quote there that um, uh, Al Tate, uh, different podcasts. Yeah. Sorry, I probably, you know, get competitive with that. But um, she always says that, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's the one that she uses. So, yeah, it's competitive. But, you know, as you said, you know, brilliant riders bring us all to the front. So um, that's always fun there. Now, the other question that I should have probably started with, but sorry, I got excited about the process there. But tell us a little bit about um, your book, Middle Grade Fantasy, coming out in September. What's it called? What's it about? What's your, uh, your elevator pitch on that one? Yeah, well, it's, uh, yeah, middle grade fantasy. Uh, I would say it's more like an urban fantasy where it isn't too high or epic. Uh, and I started writing in that realm of going, okay, YA. But the t- the things that I sort of, I'm a teacher, so to start off with that, uh, primary school, I teach about 11, 12-year-olds. Um, and knowing sort of what they are doing or what they are or aren't reading um, made me be able to go, okay, well, I could sort of, what I'm writing can be adjusted towards that level. Uh, so the book is a first in a series uh, it is called Hanging in Resolve uh, and the series is Crystals of Sarai. Uh, it starts with a C so there is two there's a K and a S in it so I made sure I get that in uh, and basically this fictional world Sarai is ravaged by monsters and creatures uh, big and small and the, to, the main character of the first series uh, is told through his eyes Sai. Uh, he is approached by the leader of the country and sort of tasked, if not uh, blackmailed, into going around on a quest uh, to sort of save the save the country with three other teenagers. And I suppose what makes it different or sets it apart is that it's almost self-aware. Uh, you could sort of think that it's Del Toro Quest by uh, mm-hmm. Emily Rodder, but yeah. a little bit more mature uh, and. There's a character in there, uh, which I suppose you could call the com- comedic relief. Uh, he knows what's going on. He's like, this is a bit cliche. Uh, but it's that sort of doesn't take itself too seriously, even though there is serious elements to it. So that's sort of what, what it's about. Sounds fantastic. Uh, and not only does it sound fantastic, but the first thing that I was thinking was Terry Pratchett. I'm not sure if you've read much of his stuff with, you know, Rince Wynn, the very self-aware, you know, this is going to happen because X, Y, Z happened. Um Fantastic. Love the sound. Um, Now, Helen, you've been doing uh, self-publishing for a little while now. Uh, As we said, Lara Bone's coming out shortly. We've already asked you earlier why you went into that self-publishing. And I think we we sort of discussed the same sort of thing. It was very much about that control of the the timeline, that responsibility. So what is it that's actually kept you in self-publishing that's kept you going? Well, the first couple worked. Well, first three worked very well, best-selling RME Chronicles um, novels. But what kept you in that one? What made you decide, well, yeah, I want to keep going with this. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of responsibility to yourself. But, you know, something about it must be working, you know, for you. So what's kept you on that path? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess I love the the business and the production side of it as like a separate thing anyway. Like I love seeing the sort of behind the scenes stuff of a book coming together, like the formatting, the cover design. Mm. Um, you know, I love getting that first proof copy in the mail that, I've had everything to do with like from beginning to end. Um, but also like, an, you know, 
people people don't really like talking about money that much, I guess, but the money is so much better. Like <laughs> I I've been able to to live off three books basically, and I was able to live off the first book within uh, within about four or five months or so, and that's that's pretty rare, and that's because yeah. in self publishing. Um, authors get a much higher royalty percentage than in traditional publishing. And in traditional publishing, you know, you might get eight to 10% um, of the royalty, but then if you have an agent, the agent gets 20% of whatever you earn. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand how anybody can, can live off that. And my, my dream was always to be able to, to have this sort of set up and, and do this full time. Um, and self-publishing has allowed me to do that where I think potentially, um, you know, traditional publishing wouldn't have allowed me to do it. And the other thing is, is that I don't think anybody is going to work as hard for your book as, as you are. And I, I don't fully trust that if, my, if I was with a, a publisher that they would be putting in the sort of hours that I'm putting in to do outreach marketing, to, to reach, you know, influences or whatever and you know putting together all the things that I use in order to get the book out there I'm just not sure that mm. I, I wouldn't be a, a lead title or anything like that I and mean, you just wouldn't get the sort of budget and the attention and the time and energy that you might deserve or need in order to get that book out there so I guess it's a combination of all those things that mm. is why I've stuck with it and and you're right it is a lot of work and a lot of responsibility and I mean, I think Troy and I touched on this just before we started recording, but sort of like the the responsibility of, you know, something like a cover and having to pick that yourself and, you know, not necessarily having a team of people telling you what's correct or like what's, you know, the best thing in terms of like the market and all that sort of stuff. But um, I've gone off on a ramble there, but that's all <laughs> the reasons why <laughs> I started with it. No, it ties in with um, something that, you know, yeah previous discussion that I was listening to um, a previous podcast, it was uh, similar sorts of things where authors, it can get really awkward if an author gets a, say a, a cover back that they don't like, like how can you go back and say, mm. Hey, person who's putting all this money in and doing all my stuff for me. I don't like what you, what you're doing. Please redo. It's uh, it can be a daunting thing. Whereas it's, if it's, you know, you making all the decisions and the committee that you've got to, you know, acquisitions is one person and it's the same as the author. So it makes things a little bit smoother that way. Yeah. Um yeah, and like you said, you've only got one client, so that client gets all the attention. So. Yeah, exactly. I suppose yeah. like what you were saying there with um, control, like with and your book specifically, you don't, you know, you mentioned that it might not get, you know, leading titles or whatever, but you can control sort of who sees that book mm-hmm. in your own. Like if we, we think about, like I've had a ten-year-old read my book and a fifty-year-old read my book, and they both enjoyed it. However, in in a traditional publishing market. It, you might not get that sort of angle with how things are uh, marketed, if at all. So yeah. I think that's another thing that you can sort of look at as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that sort of like where you're getting, um, just trying to understand what you're saying, where you get, might get advice from a publisher to say, we want you to target this, we want you to go down this area. Yeah. Whereas if you want to go, well, no, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think a, a good example of that is that a lot of um, women who write fantasy might be writing adult fantasy, but a lot of women get bracketed by traditional publishers as YA 
for some yeah. reason, even though they say specifically this is for adults, it's not a young adult title, but mm. that's something that is like not so much at the moment, but maybe a year or two ago was like discussed quite um, quite in depth online was that a lot of women get, you know, marketed as YA, even though it's adult. And it's the same yeah. as like literary fiction. A lot of women who write literary fiction get put into the category of women's fiction, even though that's not mm. what that is. And so I suppose when you are um, independently publishing, you get to, like, you literally pick the categories your book is mm. going into on Amazon. Yeah. And so you have control down to that particular detail, whereas you might not have that sort of control if you were going traditional. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one, the, the YA thing of, um, yeah. I, I've got a few opinions of that, which I'm not sure people would necessarily agree with, but I think that, you know, YA appeals to such a broad uh, group of people from, you know, it's depending on which stats you look at, there, there's, you know, the majority of readers of YA are not young adults. And I do wonder yeah, sometimes absolutely. whether or not it's for that reason, because people are writing adult fiction sometimes, but because they're using... They might be focusing on relationships in the way that, you know, that coming of age sort of side of things or a distinct change in life, whether it's, you know, as a teenager or as an adult, um, that they're just marketed as YA uh, and reality what it is, is just really good writing. Um, but anyway, that's, that's another rant for a different day. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look, um, and uh, again, doing things a little bit out of order. I know we've spoken a little bit about um, a layer of bones um, before, Helen, but for those who, you know, are, I actually don't know which order these podcasts are coming out because I know we're trying to release the other one closer to the release date of Valera Bones. Um, so this may come out first. <laughs> so in case anyone hasn't heard that one yet, uh, do you want to give us a quick uh, elevator pitch and rundown of um, your next book? Sure. Um, so Alera Bones is the first book in a brand new series called The Curse of the Siren Queen. It's um, young adult fantasy. Um, the main character, Roe, is um, a bone cleaner in a very like dark, despairing lair made of bones. And every 50 years or so, a tournament happens that enables sirens from all over the realms to enter in order to potentially um, win a spot to become the next ruler of all sirens. And uh, yeah, it sort of goes from there. It's, it's Basically, it's an exploration of her ambition and drive. And I, the, the sort of overarching question of it is, um, you know, how far do people or sirens go to get what they want? What lines are they willing to cross? How, how dirty are they willing to get? And that's, yeah, it's an exploration of that, um, you know, with all sorts of mystery and magic and all the good stuff that us fantasy lovers like. Yeah. Everything when it comes to that moral gray and that sort of, you know, dark fantasy type stuff, you know, we discussed before, that is exactly up my alley and that's why I'm so excited for it. Um, and the, the cover release came out a couple of weeks back now. That was, um, you know, that was a fantastic cover. Um, and now we can actually talk about it. It's great. <laughs> Show it. Um, but we were discussing a little bit before we started recording about covers and and how they, some of the things that you need to consider at the different levels. So yours is going YA, uh, Helen, Troy, you're looking more at the MG, or the, the middle grade um, yep. fantasy. And you talk a little bit about how that influences the decisions you make on the cover that you get to make as a self-publisher. So did you want to have a yep. quick chat about that? Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, I don't know if we could, if I'm sort of thinking about what Lair of Bones or Oromir Chronicles sort of look like, uh, Helen's books, uh, they're very, well, they're beautiful. Um, and 
I, I guess when I look at that in, on, online or wherever it is, I'm attracted to that because that's sort of uh, the fantasy sort of uh, book covers and tropes of how they sort of look, you know what I mean? Not to say um, that a middle grade isn't, but it's sort of, it's different. The colours you might think of or, and do you show the characters on the front? What does your fonts look like? Are they more, are they larger? And the, the genre, not the genre, the fads that sort of come in and out of uh, covers are so wild and you will see, I don't have any off the top of my head, but, you know, you could pick a handful of books that sort of basically look like the same book when you're in a particular genre mm. because of those uh, sort of, fads i'm using that word again but you've got to sort of pick it and go okay what is it that a kid's going why you judge a book by its cover you shouldn't but you do yeah well, it's, it's the entire got... job of the cover really so yeah and i don't know i see kids all the time we walk into the library and i say oh that book looks really good but i know they just it's brushed before they even they're like blinked at it and it's it's not chosen uh so that's really quite tricky for that age group um, because they have so many things going on. And I asked one of my students the other day, oh, you know, what are you doing on the weekend? Uh, you know, what's your favourite thing to do on the weekend? Sit in bed and look at my phone. Okay, what are you doing on your phone? Netflix. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and they couldn't actually even tell me what show they were watching, um, just everything. So it's sort of how do you capture uh, that mind and what is it? It's actually really true. I don't have an answer. Uh, sorry to everyone listening, but um, if I did, uh, I don't know if I'd tell you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, sorry, I don't have a. I can write a book about it and make that. a million. See, uh, well, it really is the the million dollar question, and yeah. you know, it's, it's like getting kids that that would otherwise just be staring at the phone watching Netflix. Um, you know, I'm probably sounding really old when I say this, um, yeah, but uh, you know, getting those those reluctant readers into yep. a book and everything, the cover does a great. You know, it's like I said, it, it's the job of the cover is to draw that interest. Um, and I guess and that's, that and be... that's exactly why I've chosen to write the way that I do mm. is because what I see um, with so many things going on in their lives to, for them to be able to enhance their vocab, their imagination and their love of reading because it's, it's yeah. coming through in sort of how we interact. Is, um, Troy, with your um, like cover decisions, I suppose you've almost got like two markets in that the people buying the books are the parents. Mm, yeah. And so like you've, you've got, I suppose, two um, sort of avenues of exposure is like if, if like the, the kid and the parent are walking through the bookstore or, you know, Woolies or wherever a, a, mm. a book might be and they spot like a cover that they go, oh, that looks really cool. I want that or the parent is actively trying to get their kid to read and they're wandering through mm -hmm. Dimmicks or browsing Amazon or whatever. And so you kind of got to keep in mind, like what are the parents looking for? And yeah. also what are the kids looking for? You have what? to merge those two. It is, <laughs> Helen, it's really tricky. Um, and that is in my mind as well. Yeah. When you were talking about um, parents and, and marketing and that sort of side of things, you know, marketing is a very difficult thing. Um, for people like me who turn around and go, you know, it's, it's hard enough just to say day to someone, you know, if you don't know everything about them and haven't known them for like 10 years. Um, how do you go about that outreach and that marketing and what tools have you found useful so far when you're in the midst of it, the, the modern sort of electronic world and digital world and everything? Ellen, can you tell Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> Since you've done, and you've done it well, like I'm going to, like, I'll just say, yeah. I've seen your work 
before you sort of branched out by yourself um, where you're online and um, writers edit, was it? Yep, if I recall correctly. So I've, you know, I've, so I've followed that sort of um, online, um, Twitter and, and that sort of thing. So I suppose you've done it really well because you've got someone here that knows who you are before we've met via Zoom. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, marketing. What? Sorry, what specifically are we are we asking with marketing? Like, I, I guess the question is, as as a self publisher, as someone who doesn't have the the buckets of money that say maybe a large publisher or that that ingrained network of um, that maybe the smaller publishers might have, how do you go about starting up and saying, hey, well, this is my book. It's good you should buy it. <laughs> um, I think there are lots of different types of marketing and the best thing like a, an indie author can do is, you know, try and educate themselves on marketing, not necessarily even just book marketing because mm -hmm. there's strategies that, that I've used that I've learned through, you know, internet, internet marketers rather than authors and things like that. Um, but in, in terms of like what I did um, I did a big, and I think we talked about this a little bit last time, Nathan, I, I did um, a big outreach campaign in terms of getting um, advanced reader copies to readers. And basically how I decided what readers, I essentially reverse engineered um, reviews of comp titles. So one of, one of uh, the comp titles for Heart of Mist is um, Throne of Glass by Sarah J Mass, which is this huge um, blockbuster, traditionally published book. But it was, it's quite close to the sort of style and the sort of pacing and stuff of, of my books, or the, at least the Oromir Chronicles. Um, and so I went out and tried to find reviewers who were raving about Throne of Glass. Mm. And then you look up their review policy, then you contact them. I did a media kit, which um, is something I learned through marketing for other businesses, create a nice looking media kit. And then you like pitch yourself to these reviewers. So that was like one, one arm of the marketing. Then another arm of the marketing was um, creating sort of bonus content. So for the Army Chronicles, I did prequel stories and in the lead up to Heart of Mist coming out in order to get email subscribers, which are warm leads to sell your book to, you offer them a, a free story or whatever it is um, to get them to subscribe to your newsletter. And, you know, in the build up to the release, you're, you're talking about the, the book, you're sharing bits and pieces of it. Maybe you do a giveaway. Um, you know, the, the bonus thing that you've offered has like links very well to the product that you're selling, that sort of thing. Um, so those are two sort of branches that I went down and then I didn't really do paid advertising until like quite a bit later. Um, Cause that is just so much learning involved. It's like you're teaching yourself how to be a marketing department essentially. Yeah. yeah. So with that then, do you, do you start off, you know, you get those, um, the, the, you get the reviewers, you get the warm leads and build up from there. Does that then sort of roll into the bigger side of things as opposed to, what I'm thinking with the big markets is I'll quite often in those first couple of weeks, you've got, um, this is the book, this is, it's out. You've got a lot of that support and the big sort of impact within those first couple of weeks from what I'm hearing here. I'm trying to understand. It sounds almost like the reverse where it's, it's almost like ramping it up to the point where you can do those big campaigns. So you've almost got a longer campaign uh, marketing period. Is that? 
Yeah, I, I would say so. Like you're trying to you're trying to build your audience and you're trying to create these warm leads. And you know, you don't you don't want to um, launch your book to no one. You need to have have sort of like built up a little bit of a following. Um, whether that's on social media, whether that's on um, you know via your your email newsletter list, that sort of thing. Maybe you're connected in the industry. Like I mean, Troy, you, you work in a in a school, so your audience is like right there, and you probably know like the school librarian and other teachers. You know, so that's that's another type of marketing. That's I mean, that's the best type. That's word of mouth. Um, so that's if you can get word of mouth going, like you're golden, um, but in terms of like things you can actually control, um, yeah, you're building up like your social media. Like I'm, for layer of bones, I've put a lot more effort into Instagram than I ever have before. Um, I mean, we were talking a little bit before about, um, you know, getting in front of camera and, and, you know, speaking normally. That's something that I'm trying to do a lot more of on, uh, on Instagram um and, and build a warm audience on instagram to to launch to and the more sort of i guess pools of of warm leads that you have the better and you can sort of ramp up the excitement and the buzz to these warm leads who then either buy the book or talk to someone else who might buy the book and it sort of i guess snowballs from there yeah if it's done well yeah yeah as like i was saying with those comp titles even if someone say doesn't necessarily like you know, a big one like throwing a glass, they know someone who does. And that's when you get that word of mouth saying, hey, this book, I've heard it's just like that. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I guess that comp titles, that's a big thing, uh, being able to, when you mentioned with kids or other adults even, you know, walking through a bookstore when it's next to or looks like or so I suppose that links back to what I said before with similar cover styles and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you find just um, when you're still in that, those early stages of, of working it all out, Troy, how have you found going into doing your own marketing or planning your own marketing? Or is that something that's still a little little further down the path? I've done research and tried, not tried, but like planning that marketing strategy, yeah. uh, seeing, you know, who's going to be reading my books. Look, yeah, kids are on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, but I'm not likely to go and advertise towards that age group so it is those adults that are on there and finding people that might review it because they like a similar style of books or you mentioned uh, A.L. Tate before her books are very sort of in that same age range yeah. um, so looking at things like that and I suppose trying to just generate um, a street team and being able to have you know, someone that I can say, okay, can you just have a look over this? Or if I contact a book blogger or a viewer, uh, all those sorts of things are really ramping up. Um, if you're in the social media space, uh, even book YouTubers are pretty big as well. So um, it is a world that an hour, uh, not an hour, I, I, <laughs> whoops, uh, a year ago, yeah. uh, I didn't know existed, you know, and has grown considerably since then. So as someone that is new and for those people listening that are new that's a thing to look at as well um, to access people that are already already have an audience rather than you know trying to build your own audience mm. yeah that's a really good point and that's also quite a big thing in the indie space 
like people doing things like newsletter swaps and you know authors joining facebook groups where you know you can post your cover or your blurb to like-minded authors in your genre in your age bracket and have people give you feedback on that stuff um that's massive in the indie in the indie world yeah excellent i'd say most most people have got each other's backs yeah the indie world um i mean i'm I don't know, sometimes I see things on Twitter with uh, published authors and there was something that happened well, maybe two weeks ago. Wasn't too, I don't, with people that were traditionally published that were uh, not that nice within their own sort of chats and things like that. So I suppose uh, we're all in the same boat with uh, indie publishing and that's kind of a nice thing to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Find, finding your group and finding, you know, your yeah. networks are great. Yeah, the next thing I sort of wanted to look at here, and this is something that I've, I've asked you before, Helen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna change it a little bit for your question. Um, but Troy, when you first started off on this um, self-publishing journey, what sort of come up that surprised you that you sort of go, well, maybe, that maybe you went, well, I wish I had a known beforehand. Again, this is looking at for authors who are looking at going self-publishing or, or writers who are not yet published and got looking down that path. Um, what is it that has surprised you that maybe would be you know good for them to know before they uh, start dipping their toe in the water. Um, this is probably something that everyone kind of already knows, but first drafts do suck. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but definitely, you know, get everything out. I'm a bit of a slow writer um, with you know day job and and other things that occur. Um, but finding a time to write is imperative, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something that I I keep learning more things. Uh, so it's almost like you don't know what you don't know so as much research as you can do like I don't know what it was the other day but uh, something about if it goes into a library there is a form that you can do to sort of get like a percentage yeah the lending rights that was it and then also then within Australia if you go through uh, an American uh, sort of company draft a digital uh, is a great website that I've you know looked at you need to fill out like a tax uh, treaty form and all those sorts of things, which are like, oh, okay, there's that. And like, okay, I'm going to have to talk to my accountant. And because I'm not, uh, you know, up to date with all those sorts of things, it's another step that I sort of I've got to write that down. I've got to research that. And I'll be on my, you know, I'll be on my phone in bed and my wife will be like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, oh, just this GN388 form, whatever it is, you know, yeah. <laughs> that. don't do anything that's going to bankrupt us or something. So, um, that's a big thing. And that was a surprise and a challenge. But also, when you figure it out, it empowers you to be able to go, okay, then I can, what's the next thing that I don't know and what can I find out? So, yeah. time is a friend and an enemy. Um, yeah. Being able to, um, I suppose, that in the self publishing world, uh, you mentioned it earlier uh, that. You know, you're not within constraints of where the traditional, where the publisher wants you to be. Uh, so yeah. your deadline is this day. Um, self-imposed deadlines is good, but you can sort of learn all these things and, and change your your work before it's due to, to come. Yeah. I say if you, you know, jump in and realise that it's a lot deeper than you think, you can mm. push it back and it's, you know, not yeah. such a big deal. I think that's what we were, we were talking about. And I've about definitely that done that. Or um, bring it forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely pushed it back. Um, if you like, I, I remember I started writing it when I was in Japan in you know 2017, and you know at the end of that year I was like, okay, cool, I'm starting to look at these things, and yeah, it, obviously it's been what that's that like four years, uh, and it still isn't isn't there, but soon. 
Excellent. Um, and yeah, so for yourself, Helen, um, because I've already asked you the question of, you know, what you found surprising along the way, what have you found different about this one? Because it has been a little bit since you released um, the, the last of the Oromir Chronicles. Um, what is it about uh, Lair of Bones with this new um, series that you've got going out? Is there anything that surprised you that went, oh, that's not the same as last time? Or how, th- how things changed along the way that you weren't expecting? Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time, but one of one of the big strategies I used for the Oromir Chronicles was contacting book bloggers. Mm-hmm. And I, I must have reached out to 400, 500 different blogs. And that was really big. This was in like 2017. Book bloggers were huge. People were posting yeah. reviews and author Q and A's and like you know character profiles and all this really cool creative nerdy content that was all over the blogs. And this time, like basically, I had a spreadsheet that I used for each of the Oromir Chronicles, all the bloggers to contact, and mm-hmm. about I'd say more than half of those blogs don't exist anymore. People yeah. stop blogging because I mean it's it's not. I guess a lot of them do it as hobbies, like maybe in and around uni or school um, and you get a, a full-time job and you can't do it anymore. Or maybe you were trying to make a profit and they didn't, or you move on to a new platform, which I, I suspect is more what happened. Like people went to book talk, Instagram, um, you know, so that's, I, I'm not sure if I was surprised. I was disappointed because that did work very well for me with the Oromir Chronicles. Um, and, you know, I kind of sat down one day planning to send out, yep, like 400 emails. And I, you know, went to check that review policies and stuff hadn't changed. And, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them just went to 404 pages and just weren't, weren't around anymore. Um, so that's probably, like, the biggest the biggest thing so far I imagine like after a layer of bones is out I'll have learned things I think I'm still yeah. like this sort of like yeah. limbo phase where I'm trying to merge the strategies I used in the past and the lessons I've learned you know since then and stuff I'm trying to merge them into this like ultimate launch plan or whatever um but it won't be until a layer of bones comes out I don't know if it works or not yeah. so yeah yeah it just reminds me of a, I can't remember who said it, but there's a line about um, writing a book is like uh, telling a joke and only finding out if the punchline worked two years later. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Close to my heart, that, that little anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> my jokes sometimes fall flat. But. Yeah. Uh, but um, all right. So I might, um, I might, I might just uh, finish up there, but I'm going to finish up with uh, one of Danny's favourite questions. Uh, and I love to hear the answers to this, which is why I'm going to uh, steal a little bit and ask her as well. So ask her a question as well. Um, I'll direct it to yourself first, Troy, because I've already asked you, Helen, and again, I'm just going to change it a little bit for yourself. But why do you write? Why do I write? Um, well, I suppose that cliche sort of response is you've got a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember sort of uh, when I was grade nine uh i was tasked with sort of like oh you've got a short story for your assessment to write and i was just i struggled for an idea but then when i got it it was just like i've written a it was meant to be a short story but i've written several sequels and all that sort of thing so that's sort of always in the back of my head and not that it's the same story now thankfully um but you know, you've always sort of got these core characters that do change or ideas that sort of float around and and it's taken, you know, 
almost well, 15 plus years for me to sort of get started again and get loving it again. And the story that I'm writing are for kids that were like me that, you know, we're too, you might've been too old for juvenile fiction. Um, you're in that 12, 20 sort of age and, but you're too young for a YA. And if you are reading YA, then you're probably reading themes that you might not be mature enough to understand. Um, not to say that they couldn't understand it, but I do see it a lot that kids are struggling to, oh, well, I don't want to read Diary of a Wimpy Kid or not that it's a bad book, but they've evolved they beyond. Yeah, moved on. yeah um, and that's where I'm sort of writing. That's why I write because mm -hmm. I want and would love kids to access it and love it and maybe inspire them to be a lifelong reader or a writer in themselves uh, because I get asked all the time by students what my favourite subject to teach is and it's English. And you often kind of get like a, a big groan from a lot of them um, because sometimes, you know, you read a book and you, you dissect it to death or something like that. But when in actual fact, the written language is so beautiful and, and that sort of thing that you are conveying emotions at all times. So I write because I have something to tell and I want, would like to inspire others to do the same. Fantastic response. Um... Yeah, look, I think that that inspiration is certainly a good thing. And that's, um, yeah, I hear from a lot of writers that they do it for themselves, but they also do it for other people as well. And that's the whole idea of, you know, we're not just inspired, hopefully anyway, um, the authors out there are not just inspiring readers, but inspiring the craft to continue through other uh, mm. through kids and that sort of thing. Um, so, Helen, I've already asked you why you write. And, again, I'm, I'm probably going to, I'm still in my mind. I don't know if this podcast is going to come or this episode is going to come out before the last one. So you might, this question might come out before the other one does, which would be really interesting. But I'm wondering what keeps you writing? What keeps you in the chair and doing this day in, day out? That's a good question. To be fair, I can't remember what I said for the last one anyway. <laughs> um, what keeps me writing? I, oh, I think I said something about compulsion. Like it's this yeah. compulsive thing to, to, uh, to write. And I think that, kind of threads into why you keep writing um but I also particularly like with series I suppose um I love the arc of the whole series and so like mm. once you start one book like I'm the the thought of like not finishing a series particularly if it's published that makes me anxious don't like that yeah. um I, I need to I want to get to the end I want to see where the characters end up from that you know that first book um and I suppose, you know, once once you get to a certain point, you also don't want to let readers down. Um, I definitely felt that that pressure a little bit when I got towards the end of um, the Oromir Chronicles. It's a bit different now. Like, you know, I've got I've got a layer of bones coming out, um, but I'm actually writing the the third book before that's even out. So it's a it's different like driving forces for each for each book, I guess. At the moment, what's driving me is that I want to get as far ahead in this series as I can so then I can attempt to do um, not a rapid release um, but potentially a release, so Lair of Bones and then maybe six months, then the next yeah. one, mm -hmm. whereas I've, in the past it's just been a book a year. Um, and that's something I want to do for me and experiment in terms of how that affects book sales, how it affects finances, how it affects, you know, growing a readership at what sort of intensity because there is this sort of market for 
um, binge reading and binge watching. Um, So that's definitely playing into what gets me into the chair every day at the moment. Um, But also I just want to see how this story ends. I'm very, (laughs) um, I'm very into it at the moment. So (laughs) you get to love your own characters and world and all that sort of thing. And almost you are the reader of the story, even though you are creating it. That's yeah. what yeah. of- it's always a good sign when the author, you know, likes their own story and everything as well. You know, today anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's plenty out there. Was, um, you know, um, there's, there's a, a t-shirt that we're going to have made for a group, which was something along the lines of, um, "Have you read my book? Uh, it's terrible. Don't read it. Have you read it yet? Why have you not read it? Stop reading. It's my book. It's terrible." Anyway, it was something along that. Um, I think that that internal monologue seems pretty uh, constant. Yeah, pretty pretty uh, consistent between authors. Um, but look, on, on that note, um, I do want to say thank you very much to both of you for being here. I'll, I'll finish it off there. Um, Thanks for having us. I, I really appreciate you coming on. And I know it's a uh, it's a Saturday that we're recording, so thank you for taking time in your weekend um, as well. Uh, we're trying to, you know, merge schedules and everything. And, um, yeah, some of them just don't quite work. Um, no, that's all right. I think my little boy's just woken up, so it's oh, good timing. timing. Yeah. I've just heard mine running down the hallway making weird noises. So uh, I don't think anyone's broken. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, go check it out. Thank you very much. And thank you as well, Helen, for, uh, for coming by again. Oh, thanks for having me again. Right. Thanks, Helen. Nice yeah. to chat to you. Yeah, you too, Troy. See ya. Good luck. Yeah, you too.